This is the Westwards podcast, a fortnightly production of Westwards, the Western Sydney Literature Organisation. Western Sydney is located on the traditional lands of the Darug, Gunungurra and Tharawal nations, and we acknowledge and offer our respects to all Indigenous people and to their Elders past, present and emerging. Opinions and views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of the Westwards organisation. If you'd like to ask questions, offer feedback or simply learn more about what we do at Westwards, please visit westwards.com.au. All right, let's get on with the show. Welcome to the Westwards podcast for today, Friday the 30th of April. My name is James Roy. I'm the producer of Westwards. I'm also your host for today, as I am most fortnights for the Westwards podcast. For those of you who don't know what Westwards is and are fairly new to uh, what we do, we are a Western Sydney literature organisation. We work across uh, all 13 of the LGAs in Western Sydney and beyond as well, in fact. And uh, our job, what we see as our job, is to... uh, bring literature to people right across Western Sydney, not just as the audience members, but as the people who want to create literature and art and and storytelling, I guess is a simple way to put it. So welcome to our podcast for today. Uh, We've got a couple of interesting bits of news for you. We've got something to tell the young people in your life as well that should, should be pretty exciting for them. We've got a bit of a reading from a new writer, first time novelist, and uh, a little more besides. So please stay with us. So we have a bit of a tradition here at Westwards uh, with the podcast, and that is that uh, most fortnights we go with uh, somebody whose birthday it is today, uh, and today, of course, is April the 30th. Sometimes we go with uh, somebody who passed away on this day in history. Uh, We try to be positive at Westwards, but sometimes that's the better choice because of the importance of the person or, or what their quote might be. But generally speaking, we're going for... Uh, somebody's whose birthday it is today and we find a quote from them and we have a little bit of a chat about uh, them and about their quote today is the birthday of annie dillard now anyone who is uh, a writer will almost certainly know of annie dillard and will have probably read her uh, they might have read some of her novels she's written a number of novels but she's also very well known perhaps better known for a book called the writing life It's a uh, collection of short essays in which she discusses the uh, where and why she writes. Boston Globe called it a kind of spiritual strunk and wide, a small and brilliant guidebook to the landscape of writer's task. The Chicago Tribune wrote that for non-writers, it's a glimpse into the trials and satisfactions of a life spent with words. Whereas for writers, it is a warm, rambling conversation with a stimulating and extraordinarily talented colleague. Now, I would suggest that uh, The Writing Life uh, by Annie Dillard is one of one of three or four books that every writer sh- really should have on their shelf. Uh, I've talked about this a little bit in one of our mini masterclasses, books that uh, writers should have. And I think the four that I would probably mention are this one, The Writing Life by Annie Dillard, Bird by Bird by Anne Lamott, which I think is a brilliant book about uh, just taking your time, pacing yourself, getting there slowly. And, and not getting overwhelmed by the enormity of what you do. 
On Writing by Stephen King, which is probably one of the best known, if not the best known books about writing that's been published. And my other and my personal favourite is a little book by Susan Shaughnessy that's called Walking on Alligators: Meditations for Writers. And it's just a book of uh, quotes, really, a little bit like I try to do on these podcasts: quotes by writers. And uh, she unpacks those a little bit and 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 talks about how they relate to the writing life and what she calls writer's resistance, which is just another name for writer's block, I suppose. Now, often with these things, I like to uh, give a couple of quotes that relate to each other, and today is no different. Let me, uh, first of all, give you this quote from Annie Dillard. She said, all my books started out as extravagant and ended up pure and plain. And the other one was this, every book has an intrinsic impossibility, which its writer discovers as soon as his first excitement dwindles. I think I particularly like the first one of those. All my books started out as extravagant and ended up pure and plain. I know this isn't the case for every writer. A lot of people start out with a very simple idea and it becomes more complex. Uh, I think it was Peter Carey has, talks about the process of cantilevering, which is where he takes a bit of an idea, a theme, a scene, if you like, and he starts to write for a while. And he writes that scene in its bare bones and he goes back and writes it again and writes it again. And each time as he writes it, he is adding more detail and cantilevering, his word, uh, the scene by adding more weight to it, more history, more backstory and so forth. And I think there's a real uh, merit in that idea, but I think there's also something really to be said about start your story as being a big idea. I'm going to be exploring, you know, the human condition is the one that comes up at the most, I think, in, in places like university courses. Uh, but, but at the end of the day, it might still be about the human condition. But really the truth about the human condition is going to be found in many of the simpler things, the lives that we lead and the, the people we spend our lives with and the, the challenges we face and how we navigate those in all the complexity of life really comes down to a, a fairly basic thing and that is trying to survive and navigate relationships and raise happy families and, and live in happy families I suppose. And, uh, and a lot of stories are about how those things fit together life and family and place and, and all of those things. So so happy birthday, Annie Dillard. Thank you for uh, reminding us that really at the end of the day, we can start out with a grand idea, but it's going to always be the simple stuff that brings us back to earth and, and, and makes those stories engaging and resonate and successful. So while we're talking about... Uh, so while we're talking about stories and simple stories and complex stories, it's probably a good time to remind everyone that uh, our Living Stories competition, the writing, the Western Sydney Writing Prize for 2021, is about to close. So uh, at 11.59 on Sunday night, they said midnight, but I, I, I think I'm going to say 11.59 because it's a little bit, bit clearer for people. Otherwise they go, oh, is it Sunday? Is it midnight as Sunday is starting or is it midnight as Sunday is ending? It's midnight as Sunday is coming to an end. So, uh, yeah, 11.59 on Sunday evening is the closing date. So if you have anything started, you can probably enter it. If you haven't started something, you're going to have a pretty busy weekend. But if you have something that you can send in responding to the theme 
are we here yet? Just go to the Westwards website. It has to be uh, 500 words or fewer. You have to live in one of the 13 LGAs of Western Sydney. And if you just follow the links on the uh, webpage, westwards.com.au, you will find the link uh, where you go to read the guidelines and also to submit your work. And we do want your work. So we've had uh, something like 35 workshops run across Western Sydney in the last few weeks. It's uh, a little bit late if you were going to get to one of those because they're all done, but we do still have the uh, the workshops on our Westwards YouTube channel, uh, Westwards Official it's called, and you can go there and you can still get some of, get the online workshops. So if you do think that you have something that you can send in, we really would love to see it. There are four categories, 10 to 12, 13 to 15, 16 to 18, and 18 plus, or adult. And uh, yeah, so, so get in there. There's money in t- money attached to this. The, the story is going to be judged by people from the local LGA library services and also published writers. So there is real money attached to this. So if you want to see your name uh, in print and you want to actually earn some money for your writing, that would be good too. Just go to westwards.com.au. Right there on the front page is a link for the living stories. We are going to be running this again next year, we hope. Uh, but this year it's uh, is the first one, so that would be a good one to win, wouldn't it? Now, while we're talking about writing and learning about writing and workshops and so forth, we've just come to the end of a pretty amazing month of uh, guest blogging by Tim Harris. Tim Harris is a good friend of Westwards, a very successful children's writer. From uh, he, he lives near Parramatta, and and Tim uh, was our guest blogger last month did an amazing job he had so many young people coming on there and and just uh, picking his brain and talking to him and sharing uh, their thoughts and their ideas and he was responding to them Uh, the month before that we had Oliver Pomervan was our first and this month we've got a little bit of a change in direction because Oliver's all about the funny and Tim is about the funny but also about the uh, about the storytelling as well as they both are but then we've got Jacqueline Harvey. Now, Jacqueline Harvey is going to be our guest for May. She's actually going to be living in New Zealand for that time. She's got a house in Queenstown, I, I think, overlooking the lake. Sounds nice, doesn't it? Uh, I think if we all book a flight, we could probably all just turn up. What do you think? Anyway, so Jackie's going to be our guest for May. So if you have anyone who is of what they call middle grade age, so that's what, grades four, five, six, seven, eight. So Jacqueline is best known for, well, she's written many, many, many books, but they're uh, the Clementine Rose books, which were preceded by the Alice Miranda books, very successful, and also the Max, Kenzie and Max books, which, uh, which she's just about to finish the, the latest one of those. So Jackie's an incredibly successful writer who is a lovely person and she's going to be on the blog as the guest. And uh, so if you have a young person who you think would benefit from having a real, real opportunity to talk to a, a real live writer about how they do what they do, uh, tell them to get along to the clubhouse. So it's, uh, you can find it linked through our Westwards website or you can go to westwords.com.au slash clubhouse and it's a good site for young people to go and learn about all things writing and storytelling. But the guest blog is a real 
hit the real highlights. So, so get them along. I think they'll really like it. So we have a special treat today. We're going to hear from Alison Gibbs. Alison is a brand new writer. Well, she's not brand new. Uh, she was born in Kyogle uh, in 1963, lives in Sydney. She has a writing consultancy and she writes copy for United Nations agencies and not-for-profit sector and that sort of thing. And she's been published as a short story writer and, and an essay writer over the years, both in Australia and in the United Kingdom. But she has just written her first novel. And it's called Repentance, published by Scribe. And uh, it's a novel set in regional Australia. And we're going to hear just a little bit of Alison reading from her book. First of all, talking about her book and then reading from the book. So here's Alison Gibbs. Hello, I'm Alison Gibbs and I'm coming to you today from Sydney's Inner West to read from and to talk a little bit about my uh, debut novel, Repentance, which was published by Scribe in January 2021. Uh, just a little bit of context before I read. Um, the, the novel is set in the fictional town of Repentance, which is somewhere in the border ranges on the New South Wales north coast. And it's at this stage a fairly conventional timber and dairying town. But uh, as happened with the whole region um, in the 70s, it is experiencing an influx of counterculture of the hippies um, moving in in very large numbers. In the case of repentance, they trickle in slowly um, and they begin to challenge the very core beliefs that, these, that this town is built upon um, in terms of its, uh, its use of natural resources and its environment, the protection of the environment. I wanted to really capture a moment in history when, for the first time, and you know, this was very early days for the environmental movement, but for the first time people were forced to consider that maybe our natural resources were finite. And it wasn't always something that we, we thought about. And um, I wanted to examine it from all perspectives. So it's told from four different perspectives, including the owner of the mill um, and the um, a 13 year old girl whose father works in the shop and so it, and yeah there's a 37 year old hippie mum who's kind of breezing through and eventually you know it 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 culminates in in conflict but uh it, it has a fairly uh naturalistic narrative character driven and um plot driven narrative but i've interspersed that with what I call vignettes, they're um, small pieces of more poetic uh, nature writing, if you like. Um, most of them have an insect theme to give that sense of life out of balance and sort of the, the, the forest kind of wreaking revenge on the town through sending out these swarms and infestations. Uh, but I also wanted to include, and I'm going to read it for you today, a chapter where the forest sort of just is and is speaks for itself and and is not seen through the eyes of any human being. So it's the forest where nobody's there because throughout the characters are always projecting their uh, their views of or their describing the forest in terms of its beauty or its uh, spiritual significance or its scientific importance or its economic worth, of course. And there's a lot of semantics in the book and the language of each character and each part of the community sort of reflects the way they see 
humankind's place in the scheme of things. And it's that collision of worldviews that I'm really trying to explore. So here's, here's where I give the forest a little bit of a breather and uh, we see things a little from its perspective. It's, it's, it becomes a character in this chapter. It, uh, two characters have just, Linda and Jared, who's head of, heading up, or it's quite clear he's going to be leading the conservation movement, the, the blockade as it turns out to be, um, have just been walking in the forest. Jared's wanting to show Linda this place that he's become so obsessed with, um, and he is very obsessive, and she is following on because they're old lovers and she's kind of come to repentance in the sort of unspoken uh, uh, hope that he will, um, that she can rekindle the love. So there's a whole lot of you know, subtext and agendas going on here, but they've just left anyway. And this chapter is called Garayi, which is Bunjalung for Brushbox. The odd bird may have noticed them leave, or perhaps the giant lace monitor that lurked near the entrance to the track where Jared had parked the jeep. Apart from that, the space they occupied in the forest that day, the partings they made in the undergrowth, the webs they broke, the mosses and ferns they compressed underfoot, all of this would soon bounce back and grow over. They left and the forest continued on through the afternoon, a warm, still netherworld, a spectrum of insect noise from the erratic buzz of a single fly to the steady hum of bees and all around the metallic screaming of cicadas, a tremulous curtain of sound rising and dissolving through the trees. This hot, harsh time of the day belongs to the raucous birds and the raptors that soar on the thermals above the range. They look down eagle-eyed on the woolly scrub that clings to its upper reaches and the billowing crowns of the broccoli forest below. Here and there a blazing flame tree, an incongruous hoop pine, the creamy trunk of a gigantic beech or brush box rising from the canopy like a pillar of marble. The forest extends all the way to the border, over 70 rugged miles to the north. From above, it appears to spread and drape itself over the rim of the caldera like a giant starfish, its tentacle legs reaching down into the gullies and farming valleys on either side. But this is an illusion. There is no extension or spread. This is a shrinking vestige of Gondwana land, an ancient organism in retreat. It perseveres nonetheless, a mass and multitude, a relentless flow and cycle of running creeks and seeping swamps and dribbling rock faces. Water swells and quivers on the ends of drip-tipped leaves and drenches the spongy hearts of bird's nest ferns. It leeches through the thin red soils, soaking into the cottony mass of algae underground. From there it is drawn into the roots of trees and hauled up through the xylem, a charged line travelling all the way to their transpiring crowns a hundred feet or more above the ground. The climb to the top can take an hour. It can take a day, depending on the weather and the type of tree. 
but the movement is perpetual, the tension unbroken, the steady rise of nutrients, the slow descent of sugars, and time in a forest like this is a relative thing anyway. It turns like circles within circles, running fast and slow. One long afternoon is less than a minute in the life of an ancient box, but nearly half a lifetime for a birdwing butterfly. And the forest itself is said to be at least a million years old, making the passage of those spring days in 1976 little more than a flicker of shadow and light on the landscape. For the birds, however, the end of that day was welcome and long-awaited. They grew vocal again as the evening fell, as if only the cooler, gentler air could carry their liquid notes. The didi a of a golden whistler, the curling mules of catbirds, the rattle of a Lewin's honey-eater ricocheting through the trees. And so it goes on, day and night, the incessant burble of water, the dissolving of rocks, the scramble of vines, the chemical chatter and exchange of filaments in the soil. All of this continues, whether people are there or not, with or without the Latin labels and metaphors we apply. The forest houses no pantheon of spirits as we imagine them. It has no truck with vaulted ceilings, cathedrals, grand salons. It exists beyond all concept of its worth and usefulness. It just is, day and night, circles within circles, regardless of how we think of it, or even if we do. And in sense So that was Alison Gibbs reading from her book, Repentance, published by Scribe. Now, before we wrap up, I just want to share another little bit of amazing news for you. Uh, and that was that this week, one of our fellows, we have uh, four fellows at the moment. Uh, funnily enough, two of them are sisters, Vivian Pham and Kim Pham are both fellows. Uh, Kim is working with uh, Ala Alfaron, a good friend of hers, uh, to work on a graphic novel. And Vivian is working on a novel. And uh, we also have our our fourth fellow, who is Emma Sandham, who is also working on a novel. But we received exciting news this week that Vivian, who wrote The Coconut Children, has just been named Best Young Novelist in the, uh, by The Age and The Herald. So the Best Australian Young Novelist. So massive congratulations to Vivian. That's exciting news. And we're so proud to be involved with you and uh, to have you as one of our fellows for this year. And we really look forward to seeing where you go in the future with your career. Now, we recently also got some very exciting news that Telstra had named us as major sponsors, Westwards, as major sponsors of the Round 9 game at Penrith Stadium, Bluebet Stadium, uh, between the Panthers and the Sharks. And uh, as major sponsors, we're going to be uh, having a logo and our names splashed all over the place but we also were asked by Telstra to put together a video of people uh, from around Western Sydney basically identifying as Western Sydney people who's who have stories to tell and this is a 30 to 40 second video that's going to be shown on the big screen in front of what we think is going to be a sellout crowd now the reason I mention it is because we were given a very short time to actually do this and I had to get on uh, my uh, various networks and, and my colleague Chris had to do the same. 
And we, in the space of 24 hours, managed to secure enough people to fill a 35-second slot, uh, a completely edited advertisement, basically. And I just want to make publicly say that uh, all the people who agreed to do that on very short notice and did it without complaint and then had to sign the release forms and all the rest of it, and none of them did it with complaint, and we are so very grateful for that. So thank you for your terrific efforts in helping support what we do. And while we're thanking people, there's one more group of people I'd like to really acknowledge, and, and they are the library staff who helped us roll out this massive competition. The library staff and the council staff from 10 LGAs. Now, they didn't complain. Well, they might have complained. We don't know. We didn't hear what they said behind closed doors, but certainly they didn't complain to us. They were given an incredibly short turnaround to make this happen because we were given a, a, a very short turnaround as well. They helped us by advertising, by finding judges, and also by uh, providing the venues for the 35 workshops that we had to put on. And so while we're doing that, I also want to very publicly thank the 15 writers who put on those 35 workshops all over Western Sydney. We're so grateful for what you've done for us and, and how quickly you agreed to do it. And uh, to anyone else who's been involved in, in this whole competition, where really the judges and the people who have been asked to judge and the people who are going to be asked to judge, there's some who might not know yet that they're going to be asked. And if they agree, we want to thank them as well. So it's a big, been a big team effort. Uh, we've been squirrelling away pretty hard in the office, but we've had to lean on a lot of people to lend their support. So we really just want to acknowledge that and say thank you for all your help. So that's it from us uh, for this fortnight. I'll be back in a week with another mini masterclass and back in a fortnight with another one of these News Views Interviews podcasts. But until then, you can find out all the things we're doing on our website, westwords.com.au. And uh, until next time, as we always say, happy creating.